This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Ryan McKinless answers questions the faithful have about why Mass is canceled. Are priests keeping Jesus from the faithful? What should the laity's role be during these times? Can good come out of this? Well, let's find out. Here's Father Ryan McKinless. Hello, my name is Father Ryan McCandless. I am the associate pastor over at St. Joseph's here in Hayes, Kansas, and at the campus center, at the Como Catholic Campus Center, and the chaplain at TMP Marion. I'm here this afternoon with you to speak with you about uh, the coronavirus uh, and some questions concerning that or some just some comments uh, concerning it and kind of some answers that I want to give to us uh, at this time because it's kind of looked at as a, a type of a controversy with the church and uh, her answer to what has been asked of us with the kind of the extremes of the coronavirus and what it's it's doing to the whole of society and there are a lot of confusing aspects that may have come about because of what the the bishop wants to to convey to us and um, and what the faithful really want to know and what they really want to do is they really want to have a zeal and a fire for the faith during this time of kind of unknowns and there's this this juxtapositioning of our faith and reason. And so as the show has always been known about, you know, cutting to the the heart of society and, and kind of the, the uh, cultural look at what's going on, uh, we also have to look into the church and kind of say, what is she saying at this time? What is her wisdom uh, in this time of uncertainty and we can maybe even say some chaos and some panic and fear because of the COVID-19. But what I would like to do first is to, just to start off to kind of see what, what was the response of the idea of having smaller congregations at masses and the kind of the progression of this virus and how the bishop was letting the priests know what was going on and what we needed to do in order to protect our people. And it was on March 13th that we were given a directive uh, stating to dispense from the requirement of those to go to their obligation of mass for Sunday. And it was telling people if they were sick to remain home that they could do that. And by that Tuesday, March 17th, um, we actually got a suspension of all masses and public gatherings of the sacraments. And so I want to go ahead and, and read that letter from the bishop to you all. So this is a statement of the bishop, Gerald L. Vinke, regarding the cancellation of public masses in the Diocese of Salina due to COVID-19. Dear priests, deacons, religious, and lay faithful of the Diocese of Salina, with deep sadness and in conjunction with the bishops of Kansas, effective 1 p.m. on March 17, 2020, and until further notice, 
all public celebrations of the Holy Mass in the Diocese of Salina are canceled, except for funeral Masses. Some of you will be understanding, others will be saddened, others angry, and others will feel like this decision is over-the-top and media-driven. Please know that this decision was a very difficult one. In making this decision, we have very young, the aged, and those most immune compromised in mind as we respect the dignity of every human person. Confirmation Masses are postponed to a later date. Funeral Masses are limited to immediate family members. No funeral luncheons may be held. A funeral liturgy outside of the Mass must be limited to immediate family members also. In addition to celebrating the funeral Mass or funeral liturgy outside of Mass, Families and pastors are encouraged to schedule memorial masses for their loved ones in the future with public, when public health restrictions are relaxed, so that larger numbers may gather if desired. Priests are invited to continue to offer mass privately for the mass intentions scheduled. All communal penance services are canceled. Priests should continue as much as possible to offer individual confessions at regularly scheduled times. Confessions are to be heard only behind a screen or other barrier and not face-to-face. At no time should there be more than 10 people gathered in the church waiting for confession. Baptisms may continue, but only parents, godparents, and immediate family members who are asymptomatic may attend. Please do not come to any of the above if you are sick, if you have been exposed to the coronavirus, if you suspect you have been exposed, or if you have been advised by a doctor not to go out in public or attend public gatherings. I know that many of you will feel that we are taking away Jesus when we need him the most. Others will say that if we had more faith, all will be well. But the Lord also invites us to be prudent and charitable too. I am encouraging all priests to keep the church doors open as much as possible so that the faithful can pray. In many ways, we can unite ourselves with Jesus, who even more deeply felt abandoned even by his heavenly Father during his agony. I encourage all the faithful to continue to join in prayer for the health and protection of our entire community and nation and for an end to this crisis. I encourage all families and individuals to pray the rosary, invoking the intercession and protection of our Blessed Mother, health of the sick, for those intentions and for the health and well-being of our brothers and sisters who are ill, for their caretakers, and for all doctors, nurses, medical and emergency preparedness personnel, and elected officials. I also ask you to join in praying a novena to the Blessed Mother, which began March 16th until the Annunciation on March 25th. The prayer asking for her intercession is available on our website. Thank you. Please know that Masses will be available to watch on our website, too. May God bless you and your families with much peace and healing. In Christ's service, Most Reverend Gerald L. Vinke, Bishop of Salina. So there are the bishop's words, and I think that they are wise and very moved through uh, discernment and a lot of prayer on his part and on the part of all the bishops, as he stated at the beginning, all the bishops in Kansas. Uh, they came to this agreement through discussion and, and a lot of 
a lot of asking questions to each other. And I, I believe that this is something that we all want to get through together. Now, based on the reaction post this, this suspension and the cancelization of, of all the public gatherings of the mass, it's, you know, coming out online and and that, that great place where it's all in the ether. Everybody kind of lets out their grievances and, and uh, really uh, can prod each other over and over again with, with questions or that zeal that the bishop was talking about. Uh, we uh, have been kind of getting some, some certain feedback on it. And so a lot of this feedback is, is pertaining to the mass and what the church is doing. And so one of the comments that has come across is that, that the church is keeping us locked out from Jesus. And that's kind of one complaint that we've been that we've been fielding as as priests a lot, and and I would say, is this true? And so, if if you actually looked at what the letter was saying, the based on the letter from the bishop, this isn't the case. The church isn't being locked. We've actually been taught and told that we need to keep it open. And so, the bishop even says. I know that many of you will feel that we're taking away Jesus when we need him the most. Others will say that if we had more faith, all will be well. What is the church then our bishop, the prince of the apostles, asking you through the guidance of the Lord say? Our bishop iterates, but the Lord also invites us to be prudent and charitable too. And what comes next is the truth. I'm encouraging all priests to keep the church doors open as much as possible so that the faithful can pray. So brothers and sisters, you're not locked out. In fact, we at St. Joe's here in Hayes, we are opening the doors at 6 a.m. and closing them at 10 p.m. We're encouraging people to come and, and pray with him, with Jesus in the tabernacle. And, and he's been there every day since that door has been opened or built. That building has been built in 1901. Jesus has been in the tabernacle waiting for people to come to him and pray with him. And in fact, the other day I was listening to Dr. David Anders, uh, and he was, he was asking a question about how we understand Jesus' resurrected body in the, in, in the ascension and how he's actually in heaven as an embodied divinity. And he went on to explain that the mystery of heaven and this spiritual corporeal reality, that bodily reality, is still veiled in some way. But what was interesting was that Dr. David Andrews was he was continuing to speak about how the crazy thing as Catholics that that we the faithful have this understanding revealed to us by Christ himself and through the church, that Jesus' body is in every tabernacle throughout the world. He is present there. And, and I was listening to this, and it was, it was one afternoon, I was, happened to be driving, and I was listening to him talk. And I thought, wow, who's back at St. Joe's with Jesus? Jesus is alone in the tabernacle right now, in our church building. No one is there. 
except for some candles, which are, are standing vigil and are supposed to be, as votive candles do, stand and witness before the saints our prayers before them. But I think at this time of as going, oh my goodness, we need to go and pray before the Lord in the tabernacle. What a great and beautiful invitation. The church is not locked. It is completely open. And I, I, I think about those saints who have been wanting to even keep themselves in the ciborium. There are saints that tell us this. It's, it's so fascinating to hear what the saints say about Jesus being there in the tabernacle and how they are sparked to be with them. Saint Gemma Galgani, she she said this this beautiful, beautiful prayer. She said she wanted to be a tent of love in which she would keep Jesus always with her. And she longed to be to have a little place in the ciborium, that little container that contains all the hosts that are put in the tabernacle. She wanted to be there in the ciborium with him, to stay with Jesus always. And she asked to become a flaming ball of fire with love for Jesus. And then, (laughs) this is beautiful, St. Faustina. She, in her diary, speaks about how Jesus is talking to her often. And St. Faustina, she had a a weird encounter with Christ in her convent chapel. She she was told by Jesus, she she said that Jesus told her, I'm going to leave this house because there are things here which displease me. And the next thing she said that is that as she's praying there before the tabernacle, a host came out of the tabernacle and came to rest in her hand. And she said that it happened three times and she was able to talk to Jesus. And each time she would go and place the host back into the tabernacle. And it was, it was an incredible witness and experience of Jesus. Now, I'm not sure... You know, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm thinking of it and I see it and I'm just like, wow, how, what a beautiful expression of her encounter with Christ in the Eucharistic species of seeing Jesus speak to her. And she said that it happened three times, but she explains that in that three days of adoration, she was working out, she was doing prayer in reparation for those things that displease Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I I don't know what God is doing in this time, but he is still in the church's tabernacles. He is still there, and he still wants us to come to him. There's a a second question that kind of gets, you know, it it is a question towards me. It's, it's, a, it's a comment about, we want to hear that priests will fight for Jesus. And I, I, I love it. I love this question because they want to hear that the priest has the zeal and that, that faith that will come out and just really show Jesus Christ to the world. And I, I want to do that. But at the same time, I'm also being asked to be prudent. The measure that our bishop has given to us are to show us that the priests are fighting for Jesus by keeping his faithful free from the illness. This is the most prudent action, is that there are a lot of things that we don't know about this virus and that it is hurtful or harmful 
especially to those ones who are most compromised. And in some ways, if I go out and I have zeal to bring Christ to other people, and then I've received that, then I've compromised other people's health. And so it is a, it's a, it is a, a, a dilemma in some ways. But priests are fighting for Jesus by keeping his faithful free from this illness. And so priests are undoubtedly trying their best to help the people to bring the efficaciousness, the effective grace of the mass to their people by trying to stay healthy themselves. And we're offering our daily masses. We've been told to keep our intentions that have been given to us by the lay faithful in the church. We now will offer our masses in obligation to those intentions, but they still have an efficacious that effective grace, as I was saying, to the rest of the people in that daily mass that we are offering. You know, what's, what's hard is I honestly, myself, don't want to say private masses. I don't know if, if, if anybody's heard this, but Padre Pio when he was you know, alive and he would say masses, but before he went out to say mass, he visibly shook because of how powerful it was to go before God and offer this sacrifice. And he would see himself as, as completely unworthy of offering the sacrifice of the mass. This is sheer unworthiness. Brothers and sisters, my, my sins, my own unworthiness in saying the most powerful prayer for the people of the church is, is crazy. It's, it's, it overwhelms me. And so to, to be there by myself, I'm, I'm, I just it, it's unfathomable to think that I can actually make something happen on this altar. And so I'm, I do it, though, for the people, which means that I also must be pure of heart and remaining sin-free. And that that's, can be difficult when you're cooped up and, and doing nothing, right? So creative measures have to come out on my part. But the Mass is something so, so wonderful, so so amazing that it's it's God. He's completely present there, showing us and teaching us. But we are so unworthy of the gift that he's given to us. And we need to treat this with such respect and reverence that I believe at this time that the priest is actually learning to be more reverential that this is a, a call for all priests to go and to see and to be challenged with bringing about the real presence of Christ in that Eucharistic species and what that means for the rest of the church. How unworthy I am of doing this offering. So I believe that this strange virus is kicking people out of the sacred mass and in some beautiful way, my prayer is that this helps and heals priests 
those priests who have lost faith and, and or have doubted the understanding of the real presence of Christ, that they'll get it back. And they will be given it because of how powerful the mass is, including the whole church. That is fully the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which means the mystical body of the whole church is made present there at that mass. And I pray for those priests in this time that they will have their faith and ministry be reinvigorated. This is what we need to be praying for, is the invigoration of the priesthood. So this, this is the essence of the comment that priests are, are invigorated to invigorate others. Believe me, brothers and sisters, I do want to do heroic stuff, but I want to educate people about the beauty of the church and tell people that they can trust it, that we can trust that the bishop is actually doing something heroic, even in this odd measure. It is unprecedented, but it's something that's globally happening, and we need to see what's going on in order to see that we priests need to be invigorated with Christ to help other people invigorate their life. So this question, I believe, also begins the second or the third question, which is, you know, taking the creative measures um, which we've been asked to not have gatherings of 10 or more people. And so that comes with this idea or and staying you know six feet away from each other and all of that we've got big churches so we think about how we can maybe do that type of stuff or but basically trying to be creative with how to bring the mass to the people and so it's one of the suggestions is we should have outdoor masses and i i, I think okay we could do a lot of things or not a lot of things I think outdoor masses sound great, but at the same time, like, we live in Kansas. Did you experience the wind the other day? Look, brothers and sisters, there's a reason why we built sacred places, and we need them. And the virus is the virus, and it doesn't matter where the mass takes place. It will probably take its toll either way. But we're doing our best to try to diminish the effects of this virus, and these are the effects that are happening. And when we try to obey what the bishop says, and we also want to do kind of the spirit of the law, or maybe if we try to wrap around how we can get around the law or what's been asked of us, we tend to also diminish what's going on and what's actually really being asked of us. And so there's, there's people who are suggesting maybe using their cars and or like doing drive-through um, communion. And, and I, just, I just look at that and, and I think these are great, cool ideas, but at the same time, is this really what Christ is asking of us? Is this really what we need to give the Mass and Christ their due? Because the Holy Mass is built for the sacred. It is for heaven and earth to meet together. And so much of the ideas of, of putting all of this like worldly stuff into it 
really kind of some ways diminishes the sacredness of the mass. I mean, even for me, in some ways, like, I, I don't like the idea of online streaming of the mass because it, it just, it just seems so impersonal. And though we want to get that mass made available to you, so that way you can feel as if you are part of a bigger, larger whole, they're only a sliver of what you can really experience at the mass itself. And this is why I keep on reflecting and, and praying with, for some reason, that we are asked to refrain from the mass and the Eucharist in a real way in this virus time, in COVID time, COVID-19 time. I, I find that this virus is actually meant to be bringing us into solidarity with those who normally cannot receive or able to attend physically the Mass on a weekly basis. Why can't we, the faithful, now actually see how global Christ is and how global God works? The church and the reception of the Eucharistic Christ is not just he and me, it's it's he, me, and others. It's the whole mystical body of Christ very much wrapped up in that host. It's a complete reception of ch the church and solidarity as a whole. That's why it's called communion. Because the reception of Holy Communion places within that sacred host Jesus' divine life and God's Trinitarian life as well. That love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit within the members of the whole church, in that host. It's, it's me, my, my parents, my, my grandparents who've died before me, they're all in that mass. But at the same time, brothers and sisters, I have friends who are overseas and cannot get to mass every weekend because they're in the military. I also served as a chaplain for a week in Honduras, spending time in the little aldeas that were religiously founded with the Catholic Church in mind, but they have no priests bringing them the Eucharist. They're lucky and blessed if they have a catechist there that is able to bring in a priest to give them the Eucharist maybe once a year. Brothers and sisters, not everybody gets a chance to receive the Eucharist. We've been blessed in this town, in, in Kansas, in the United States, to have the sacraments given to us and have them be made available to us on a daily basis. But I believe that this time is for us to look to see that there's actually a bigger church out there than just our little church here. And so then we pray in communion with those who are not able to receive all the time. It's a solidarity aspect. So I think that this time of trying to figure out how the church is more mobile is also kind of interesting to, to, try, to try to pivot us around to how do we actually get out of the church and evangelize effectively about the Eucharist? Your desire, 
your desire and want to receive the Eucharist can shine. And your longing and your pining for the Eucharist may shine to others. That's one of my prayers in this too, is that the Mass be reinvigorated by a reinvigorated priest who is able to have their faithful reinvigorated in order for them to long and pine and come to receive Christ when they've made pure of heart through prayer and intentionality and that desire that God wants us to have. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with Father Ryan McKinless. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Father Ryan McKinless. The faithful's role while mass is canceled. Now the, the rest of these questions kind of pivot on to like the government aspect. So how can the government shut down church? This is a, a question that that kind of makes me scratch my head because the government didn't shut the church down. We're still operating. In fact, uh, I still have employees that come to mass as, or sorry, come to work, come to the office. Uh, to field phone calls. Uh, We have at St. Joe's, we have the cemetery. So we're going to be dealing with people who who have loved ones that need to be buried. And so we have to be there to take phone calls. Our church is also, as I stated in that first question, is unlocked. And so Jesus is made available. What happened is that the government gave us guidelines that were helpful in communicating to us the seriousness of the virus and made recommendations to everyone, everyone concerning groups. The recommendations didn't even mention anything about churches. But since the recommendations said to limit group gatherings of 50 or more at that time when that was offered, now it's been reduced to 10 And in fact, our answer was to do the 10 immediately. This implied churches. So to say that the government is forcing the church to shut down is is actually an overstatement. This isn't a religious freedom issue. And and I believe that that this is actually us seeing that the government is telling us, hey, stay safe and here is how. And this means that the government is actually doing its job in protecting its citizens. And so we can actually commend that the government is on top of this, that they're actually communicating well to us, that they're not giving us any fibs or lies or, or deceiving us. And so this is, this is what we expect a government to do. And so they also expect us to, to follow suit with reasonable guidelines. And so we being the people who are being governed – because we make up that group of people being governed by the government, they have made reasonable suggestions and recommendations. And the church does not see them as being unreasonable or attacking us. So we, we see this as, as a right means to bring about a good. So these are right means to bring about a good. This is not an injustice. 
And as Catholic Christians, we are called to civil obedience. Citizens who listen and do our best to adhere to laws that are given to us, especially if they are reasonable. So I'm not really familiar with a lot of the the governance talk and and their reach during this time, but the emergency declaration that has been given to us in the state of Kansas at this time is given to us temporarily. And I believe that there are even limits to those powers, and those are, you could probably find those in in the government um, documents that will back that up. And so the, the actions that have been given to us are by no means the government trying to set up a religious majority to fail. That's something that I believe is really important for us to, to look at. They're not saying the Catholic Church needs to be closed down. We, we need to hear that they're actually having our safety in mind. All people are being asked to not gather in groups of over 10. But if they, if they begin to push back to, to, to say, hey, we need to take some, some absurd oath or um, I, don't, I don't know, um, but then you would be worried and maybe you would have also the proper pushback against that. If they are asking us to do something that is unjust, then, then you would have the proper retaliation or the proper answer to that. So I believe at this time that the the movement and the principle that the church is working with right now is in solidarity with the whole world as an act of charity for those influx of cases in the hospital. The precautions that are being asked of us are occurring around the globe. The scope of this virus is huge. Most, if not all governments are asking their citizens to be prudent in contact with others. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into the details about how this, this virus is, how it works and whatnot, but I believe what is interesting to see in the world, and it's telltale that this is very, very serious, when even those things, those worldly things that, that rely on all of humanity to consume them, basically, that rely on our money, like Hollywood, NBA, MLB, NCAA March Madness, which should have been going on all March, they've been put to stop. Their businesses have been stopped in their tracks because of this. And you can even find information online about the red light district where brothels are being put out of business because people do not want this virus. I think that this is telltale of how serious this is. And are we going to dismiss that God is not in this? This, this next question or this next complaint follows from, can the government shut down the church? Because it happened too easily. And I, and I say, wait, what? What do, you, what do you mean it happened too easily? If, if it follows from, can the government shut down the church and the government has shut down the church, it, it happened way too easily that we didn't resist. But I believe my, my first answer was, this isn't an, an injustice. This was actually a right thing to do. It was a good thing to do for a good end. 
And so what's happened is we've listened. And in fact, what we're called to do is we're called to live in trust of those who have been given right authority over us. And, and when they get that information that is potentially life-saving, I expect those in governance to let us know what can be done. Of course, we would like to hear a little bit more information. And of course, we would like for them to have a little bit more information and that it be correct information so that they, they can make a, a good decision in moving forward. But to not act when they do have at least some timely and helpful information would be an imprudent and possibly detrimental to a wider group of people and put a lot of lives at risk. I believe that this is the reason why everyone has acted quickly in this situation, because they believe that the information that has been given to us by our government has been discerned well and has been taken seriously. And as I said, the action didn't shut down the church. The swiftness of the action by the bishops in the United States, and I would, I would say even in other places like restaurants and shops throughout the world to adjust to the situation, just shows how easy it is to find out information and to take it seriously in this world. But what's scary, though, is alongside of this is that just as much good information is being placed out there, there's a lot more misinformation or bad information that is being communicated right alongside of it. And all this does is add to the confusion. You could find a blog post. You can find somebody else saying this online on Facebook or, or hear it in the news of how one healthcare expert disputes expert number two. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's putting people at, at odds with each other. And this is the time that, that God isn't asking us to, to debate what's going on right now. He's asking us to slow down. It's difficult to figure out what the clear voice is when there are so many voices speaking at once in the community. And I, I think about this question of it happened too quickly. I, I think of this in, in terms of Jonah and the Ninevites. And, and Jonah, we know that he is asked to warn the Ninevites that that their city is going to be torn down in 40 days. And Jonah's reluctant. He doesn't like the Ninevites. And, and he also doesn't want to go and, and preach to them. And so we know he turns and he runs away. And then what happens is he brings about a calamity on the boat that he's on. And the people find out, oh, he's the source of this. And they don't want to throw him over. And instead, what they do is they, they, they pray to his God, even though he knows that that's the reason why the boat is being rocked. He is being then willing to be thrown over into the water. And then he's swallowed by a whale or by a big fish. We always think of it as a whale, but it's a big fish. It's not a whale in the Bible. And then after three days in there, he is spit up. And then what is he asked to do? To do exactly what he was supposed to do in the first place. To go and preach the, the news. And this is where the quickness of the message of Jonah 
is heeded and followed. He is tasked to warn the Ninevites, and his message has an impact on the people right away. And such an impact did it have that even the king, their rightful authority, declared a fast. So the long story short is that Jonah was effective in his message because he declared the truth. And funnily, he, when he spoke this message, 40 days and the, then the Lord will destroy Nineveh, he didn't convey a solution. The people heard and they quickly responded. So brothers and sisters, this is the action of the faithful to hear the message and quickly respond. And I believe that our response in this time is for us to, to go towards prayer, to get into the church and pray before the Blessed Sacrament and pray for the removal of this. We still are a people who pray. We still are a Eucharistic people. We still are people who listen and apply our right reason to these matters. And then our faith then allows us to calm our souls and our hearts. Civil governments taking away Christianity, they aren't. This is not happening. We're not letting them take away the masses either. What's happened is we've been told to do something in order for a good to come about. And that this is the right means toward a right end. And we need, yes, the power of the, the sacraments, Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, to help us. Now, there are certain things that I could go into about sacramental theology, and there could be a lot of discussion that we can go on and on into understanding of ecclesial theology. But the, the strange thing that is happening now is this virus is is something that really is setting to, to put our faith into perspective. We believe that the sacraments are necessary for salvation. We believe that, that the things of this earth can be charged with the goodness of God and come through Christ and his word in the priest that has been ordained by the bishop who is an apostle, a prince of the apostles right? That he is in apostolic succession, that he sits commanded in obedience to what the church says. And in unprecedented times, we turn to and we can go to the Pope. And the Pope at this time needs our prayers. And he's been trying to get us to come together in prayer, in solidarity, and in prayer for the removal of this virus. This is our faith, where we can go and find the source and the hub and go to it and, and desire it and hold on to it, and we can even consume it. But right now, what is being asked of us in this strange time is to not consume it. And here I am, an unworthy man, being asked to offer the sacrifice of the Mass in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, for his church without his people, but for the people. That's what's so strange, is that I'm still present amongst the people, even in that little private Mass. In this 
time of the church is is a growing seed and this is what lent is all about it's it's it is not to me ironic for the united states to be going through the coronavirus during lent because it's a time for us to be germinating it is a, a graver penance in a way for us to to go deep into the ground into the soil and to allow it to start germinating to start affecting our life differently to allow us to open our eyes to see how god actually wants to touch us and that we can we can begin to ache in pain and enjoy and in and fire to be amongst christ and his church once again out in the open to be ready to to shoot from that soil as as a new root as a new sprout as in springtime as in a flowering bud that gets to be gradually opened as it comes closer and closer to the sun lent is a word that means spring in german we need to be sprung open in this time god is asking us to as i as i put it a lot of times to hunker down and to trust him and let him know that he's the god of creation that he is the one who wants to enliven us through his sacraments but in a way that is even distant it's a spiritual reality that's been given to us in the sacraments and he's asking us to wait to patiently wait to pray for those who do govern us to slow down to pray for those who are dealing with sick patients on a day-to-day basis so often do we get so caught up on how good we are or how how unill we are then we forget to see that there are other people who are around us that are living with sickness and that they need the hope that we can give them from our goodness. God is asking us to come to him in a new way during this time. I don't believe that we're going to have to have masses going underground, that this is some big conspiracy theory that, that uh, is going to wipe out all world religions. No. It's not going to be that way. The people of faith are are a lot more smart than this. We don't need that to even going through as as that deceptive lie or seed. I want to root that out right away because we are the church and we want the Eucharist. And God is merely just asking us to wait. He's asking us to pray, to become more pure of heart. He wants us to be sinless. That's where he wants us. He wants us to look into ourselves to actually see that, oh my goodness, there's wretchedness in me. And Lord, I want to give that to you to purify and to root out. You do that, God. I want to help in cooperation with giving you a docile heart that can have that happen to 
I want to give my heart to you in a new and more fruitful way. So that way I can be renewed and come out of this time on fire for my faith even more, not in doubt and confusion. Our God is a God of clarity. He is not a God of confusion or chaos. But God allows things and he permits things to happen in order for you to see his hand in them for us to grow stronger by virtue within that. The day that these mass cancellations were coming up, the first reading was a reading from Daniel. And it was Azariah. He was one of the the three men who was put into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Azariah, Mishael, and Hezekiah. Those three men have been thrown into the fire because they stand up for their faith. And they do not, against the directives of Nebuchadnezzar to worship him and his statue, they are thrown into the fire. But they are thrown into the fire and they know exactly the reason why they're thrown into the fire. Because they take up in representation the rest of Israel. And as representation of the rest of Israel, they speak on their behalf. And Azariah, he brightly puts onto his lips the beautiful, beautiful prayer to God. He says, For your namesake, O Lord, do not deliver us up forever or make void your covenant. Do not take away your mercy from us. For the sake of Abraham, your beloved, Isaac, your servant, and Israel, your holy one, to whom you promise to multiply their offspring like the stars of heaven or the sand of the shore of the sea. For we are reduced, O Lord, beyond any other nation, brought low everywhere in the world this day because of our sins. We have in our duty, in our day, no prince, prophet, or leader, no burnt offering, sacrifice, oblation, or incense, no place to offer first fruits to find favor with you. But with contrite heart and humble spirit, let us be received as though it were burnt offerings of rams and bullocks or thousands of fat lambs. So let our sacrifice be in your presence today as we follow you unreservedly. For those who trust in you cannot be put to shame. And now we follow you with our whole heart. We fear you and we pray to you. Do not let us be put to shame, but deal with us in your kindness and great mercy. Deliver us by your wonders and bring glory to your name, O Lord. Brothers and sisters, we've been asked in this time to be received, to know that we have been reduced, but that the Lord will not make void his covenant with us, and that we do have leaders who want us to be safe, to be charitable to others, and that we could still offer our first fruits to find favor with God. And that first fruit that we offer is our contrite heart and our humble spirit. So brothers and sisters, let us be received. Let us go in to ourselves in this time to be interiorly changed. So in order to receive Christ, who is beyond all telling, but who is our salvation. Thank you, Father Ryan. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KVDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Band, and soon 101.7 KJDM Salina. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. <laughs> 